Let's open up and continue our study in Ephesians chapter 5. We looked last week at just simply verse 18. It says, Do not be drunk with wine, which brings forth dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Let me pray and we will uh, continue in our study here this morning. Father, we thank you for the grace that has called us, for the love that has been bestowed upon us, for the gift of your word, for the life of the Holy Spirit within us, Lord. We, we're forever grateful. And I praise you, Lord, for this church. I thank you for the gifts, Lord, that were manifest here this morning on the stage to lead us in praise and worship and adoration of your name. Lord, I pray that that will be our heart, that that will be our life, that that will be our focus individually to be spirit-filled believers that live out a life of singing praise and living praise unto you, always with thankful hearts. And Lord, if we're uncertain as to what that means and what that looks like, I pray that the study this morning, Lord, would impact our lives through the scriptures in a new way to understand what that means, what it means to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another and to you. And what it truly means to be thankful in response to all that you've done for us. So please guide me, Lord, to clearly communicate what the scriptures declare for us so that your church will be built up, be edified, that more than all else you'll be glorified. We pray these things together and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. I want to go ahead and read verses 18 through 21 of Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Submitting to one another in the fear of God. So the, this is what we're looking at this morning is the outflow of the Spirit-filled walk. Now, we learned last week what it is to be filled with the Spirit. We learned what it is not to be filled with the Spirit. We learned all the miscon- many misconceptions today um, that are being taught as to what being filled with the Spirit is. And anyone who's a true believer in Christ has the Holy Spirit. You cannot have a demon and the Holy Spirit. Okay? You have the Holy Spirit residing in you. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, therefore you are able to walk, I am able to walk or live out a life of being filled with the Spirit. And that's a command. And we looked at the command last week. And the entirety of a God-honoring life for the Christian, or that of being imitators of God, as we learned a few weeks ago, is only possible if we are filled with the Spirit. Only possible if we are filled with the Spirit. Filled, controlled, if you remember, moved along by. Kind of like a sail on a sailboat. The wind blows and the, the, the sail billows out and what does it do? It moves the, it moves the boat along. It's power outside of ourselves. It's the residence 
the residency of the Holy Spirit Himself in our lives, as we yield ourselves more and more to Him, we move along step by step, moment by moment, thought by thought, decision by decision, daily, yielded to Him. That's being filled with the Spirit. That's living a life full of the Spirit. We'll never know the power of God unless our life is subject to His will according to what? His Word. According to His Word. You know, Paul wrote the, the church in Galatia, and what they had done, they, step up to the, they stepped up to the line of grace, understanding what grace is, receiving the finished work of Jesus Christ, only to step back into what? Legalism. To legalism. This outward attempt, if you're not yielded to the Spirit, your life will become simply a life of legalism. This outward attempt to be pleasing and honoring to God. And Paul said in Galatians 3, verse 1, Oh, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Without us being yielded to the Spirit, or being filled with the Spirit, there will be no progressive growth in your life as a Christian. Because it's an inward response, you see. And as we respond inwardly, we become outwardly that which he has already declared of us in chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians. That we are righteous in his sight. So, in order for us to manifest that reality, we must walk full of the Spirit. This is the number one principle for the believer. If you remember in the early church... This is what the enemies of the early church said. Speaking of Christians, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar saying there is no other king. Or there is another king and his name is Jesus. See, yieldedness enables God to do in us and through us only what he can do. Only what he can do. It's all His power and it's all for His glory, which we'll see in a little bit. Everything's for the glory of God. Your salvation is for the glory of God. Your obedience is for the glory of God. Your suffering is for the glory of God. My suffering is for the glory of God. Now remember, turn back to Ephesians 3 for a second. Remember this study? Look at verse 16. Remember, Paul's praying here and he says, look. He says, uh, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the what? In the inner man. So that my, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, the height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Filled with all the fullness of God. But if you remember... The Holy Spirit lives in us. And unless my life is cleaned up on the inside, He may be in His home, but He's not at home. And that's what that means. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And we studied that word. It means to settle down and be at home. He's at home in a lot of Christians, but He's not at home in a lot of Christians. It's like living in a mess. Amen? You can be in your house. You can be in your home, but not at home. Because it's a mess. The only way to clean it up is to be yielded, submitted, surrendered. You know, a lot of, a lot of people I know that serve in ministries and churches, they, they want to recapture the power of the first century church. And in an attempt to do that, 
they, they do it through methods and things like that that really become nothing less than a show. It becomes all outward. It becomes methods and, and systems of trying to recapture the supernatural power of the early, of the early church th- through uh, man-centered theology, really. They're getting our eyes off of God. And simply, you want the power of the first century church? You yield yourself to the Holy Spirit who lives in you, and you will have a life beyond as we just beyond what chapter 3 declares for us. Beyond comprehension. Beyond comprehension. This is what Paul's talking about. We looked at the parallel last week of being filled with the Spirit. The paralleling truth of the Colossians defines for us is you let the Word of Christ dwelling you richly. Chapter 5 says that when we're filled with the Spirit, which we're studying today, what happens? Speak to another one, one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our heart, giving thanks always, submitting to one another in love. Well, the Christian who has the Word of Christ dwelling in them richly, the result is the same thing. Singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs to one another. Giving thanks always. It's the same thing. So to live full of the Spirit or being filled with the Spirit is to allow or let the words of God Himself dwell in you richly. You heard the term garbage in, garbage out, right? If you take in pollution all day, pollution eventually makes its way out. Get into the Word of God. Get the Word of God into me. From out of me will flow streams of living water. From out of me will flow the very life and words of God. From out of me, I will begin to test everything in light of Scripture, holding fast to that which is true. That's being filled with the Spirit. That's the command. That's the command. It's not... We looked last week, and I don't want to beat this dead horse, but it's really not some sensationalistic experientialism. Amen? It is a concrete reality of submitting myself to the fullness of God who lives in me. Yielding myself to Him. Yielding myself to His power. Yielding myself to His Word. This this basically means it's known as a walk. Day by day, when we walk, we take one step at a time. Amen? Turn back a couple pages to Galatians 5. Galatians 5. Now, there's a war going on in each one of us. As a believer, there's a war going on. Even though you have a redeemed life, you're made new, Christ is in you, there's still the human side of us referred to as the flesh. Okay? Now, flesh is where Satan lands his craft of temptation in your life. Okay? This is where he lands, and this is what he... This is what he plucks at. This is what he picks at. This is what he tries to woo. This is what he attempts to move. Your flesh. Chapter 5, verse 16 says, Paul says, I say to you then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Look what happens. Works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, 
contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom. Now, here we have a believer. If one yields himself to the flesh often enough, he will manifest characteristics or a lifestyle that's a reflection of a non-believer. A non-believer. Therefore, we must be filled with the Spirit. See, a believer, guys, here it is. You cannot focus on Christ and concentrate on lust of the flesh and temptation at the same time. Because you have to dismiss one or the other. You cannot focus on being filled with the Spirit, submitting to Christ, and focusing on temptations and the lust of your flesh at the same time, because one or the other must be dismissed. A lot of times we focus on how to fight the flesh, when in reality we're called to be filled with the Spirit. And if we focus on being filled with the Spirit, you don't have to concentrate too long and too hard on how to fight the flesh. Amen? Because flesh is a reality. You'll have it till the day you die. So, the point that your flesh and my flesh desires to sin is not the problem. Okay, look at it. Galatians 5. Flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. In verse 16, just part of that, he says, Walk in the spirit and you will not what? Fulfill the lust of the flesh. The fact that your flesh lusts to please self isn't the problem. The problem is when we what? Fulfill the lust of the flesh. There lies the problem. If I'm concentrating on and focused on submitting myself to Christ, being filled with the Spirit, which is a command, I won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. I won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. So a Christ-conscious, Spirit-filled believer is someone who's not controlled by the flesh. It's really simple. He's simply not allowing himself to be controlled by the flesh. We all have the flesh. We all have that sin in us. It's that part of us that wants to please self. It's the part of us that wants to sin. It's that unredeemed side of us. We understand our position, amen? Our position, flawless perfection in the eyes of God. We know that we're going to step into glory one day, but there's that unredeemed part of us, this humanness, we call it, that fights. It's, it's, it's fight. It's contrary to the Spirit. It wants to do everything that's contrary to pleasing God, you see? Think of, just think about your thought life for a second. Whoa. You begin to harness that and submit your thinking processes to the Lordship of Christ. Um, you'll see your behavior soon changing. Very soon. Look at verse 22, chapter 5. This is this fruit of the Spirit. This is the fruit of God's presence in your life. Again, this is the fruit of God's presence in a believer's life. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no what? Law. You know what law does? Law takes revenge when it's not fulfilled. Right? Law takes revenge. So if someone wants to live according to the law, which the Galatians were attempting to do, the consequence of law is justice. Justice. When a Christian who has the Holy Spirit within him simply yields himself to 
God himself, you don't even have to try. Right? Here's the vine. It's planted in the ground. It brings up all of the nutrients, all of the water, all of the minerals. Here's the life. Here's the branch. If you abide outside of the vine, what happens? Withers and what? Dies. All we have to focus on is abiding in Christ. And you will bear fruit. Fruit of the Spirit. If you attempt to do it in your own strength, that's like trying to fulfill the law. If a Christian falls into these patterns that are characteristic of a non-believer, he will suffer consequence. Because God chastens those he loves. He'll chasten those he loves. Now, I think we have that down. We've been studying that for weeks. We have that down, I hope. As I yield myself to the one who indwells me, I will bear fruit of his presence in my life. His presence in my life. As I allow the word of God to dwell in me richly, this is what will happen. My life, my Christian life, will walk itself out with verse 20, Ephesians chapter 5. Here's the results of being filled with the Spirit. Walking it out and living it out in verse 19 to where I will speak, we will speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So now we're going to look at these results. Verse 19 says that the Spirit-filled life will walk itself out in singing. Verse 20 reveals for us that a spirit-filled life will walk itself out in gratitude. And verse, 20, verse 21 says that a spirit-filled life will walk itself out in submission. There's a dirty word for our culture today. Amen? There's a dirty word. Wait till next week. Wait till next week. That's a dirty word in our culture today. But we'll learn more about that. We're not even going to get to the submission part today. We're going to look at walking out the Christian life in singing and walking it out in gratitude this morning. Walking it out in singing, verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Making melody in your heart to the Lord. We started doing that this morning, didn't we? See, this is a personal thing. The one who's filled with the Spirit, which is a command, he's walking in obedience to that command, filled with the Spirit, it will produce a song in your heart. It just happens. It just happens. The result of singing is the expression of the human emotion of the soul. Just think about it. Everybody sings. You may sing in your car. You may not sing in front of the people, but everybody sings. People sing in the shower. People sing in the car. People think their voice is great when it's not. And then there's people who have beautiful voices. But nonetheless, this here, it's an inward emotion of being right with God inside. Being right with God. And knowing that you're right with God. Rejoicing in the fact that you are right with God. If you're in Christ, you're right with God positionally, amen? Your position, you are right with God. Now, there may be some behaviors in your life or some lifestyles that God wants you to repent of, so there's not the joy there because there's conviction that He may be dealing with you in that you haven't repented of. So there won't be joy there until that sin is removed, until it's repented of. But it's being right. You know, God is so gracious to us that when we 
walk in obedience to what His Word says, we get the blessing of joy. This is the Beatitudes of Matthew chapter 5, right? Blessed or happy is he who, poor in spirit, for his is the kingdom. Those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Those who are merciful, they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be filled. Right? It's a promise. So when we yield ourselves to Him, when we're filled with the Spirit, the result is a joyful heart. And a joyful heart that is abiding in our Master, the Creator of the universe, the One who stepped out of glory and became a human being, died in your place. The result is joy. It's joy to where you sing and make melody in your heart. And what a blessing it is, you know, that, that He gives us that joy. That's His blessing. That's His blessing. Songs, music, all an expression of the soul. There's a lot of music that, man, if you think about it, if you came out of like a music background, like certain rock and roll songs, they stir up things emotionally. I don't care what anybody says. It stirs up, like heavy metal music. I had to tour with a guy who became a Christian. He's a heavy metal legend. You can't tell me that music doesn't affect you. I had to listen to a hundred shows in a year. <laughs> Saw people about killing each other down in the audience. You can't tell me it doesn't stir up anger and rage. You can't tell me that's a lie. It does something to the soul. And someone who's a Christian, who's abiding and walking, being filled with the Spirit, from out of that will flow song, praise. Not only to Him, but to one another. To one another. And you know what kind of songs God likes? New songs. New songs. You know, a lot of times, Christians these days, they're like, I didn't know any of the songs. It didn't do much for me today. Worship did not do much for me today. I wasn't moved by it. You know what? Did you even look at the words you were singing today, sister, brother? Because worship is not for you, right? We may emotionally be moved by it, which is great, but the songs are for Him. Listen to some of these. Mark these down. Psalm 40, verse 3. He, God, has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Proclaim the good news of His salvation from day to day. Psalm 98. Sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. The Lord has made known His salvation. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. You know, there's a lot of singing and making melody in churches today that isn't necessarily spirit-generated, but is performance-oriented. Performance-oriented. What these guys do up here, and we're blessed in this church, by the way, in a very short period of time, seven months now that I've been here, we are blessed to have godly people who are concerned about leading in a godly manner. And I'm blessed. Totally blessed by it. Everything's for the glory of God. Did you know that? 
Everything is for God's glory. You know who the most God-centered person in the universe is? God. God. I'll quote John Piper. We have a lot of his books for sale. I encourage you to buy them. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Again, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Let me read a quote from one of his books, Brothers, We Are Not Professionals. Okay, I'm, I'm about ready to finish this book. But uh, he, he, he loves Jonathan Edwards, and Jonathan Edwards will soon won't be one of our heroes of the faith on our website, which is being rebuilt, by the way. Right now it's William Tyndale, and I encourage you to go there and look at these heroes of the faith so you get an idea of who they are and you know what are the shoulders of whom we stand on. We stand on the shoulders of these, of these giants. Jonathan Edwards wrote this, and I quote, God has respect to himself as his last and highest end in this work because he is worthy in himself to be so, being infinitely the greatest and best of beings all things else with regard to worthiness, importance, and excellence are perfectly as nothing in comparison of him. Okay, now Piper goes on to write this. Speaking about the God-centeredness of God. And I quote, Why is it important to be stunned by the God-centeredness of God? Because many people are willing to be God-centered as long as they feel that God is man-centered. It's a subtle danger. We may think we are sending our lives on God when, in, when we are really making Him a means to self-esteem. Over against this danger, I urge you to ponder the implications, brothers, that God loves His glory more than He loves us. Okay, check it out. God loves His glory more than He loves us and that this is the foundation of His love for us. His glory. End quote. You know what brings the greatest glory to God? We just read the Psalms. Salvation. Salvation. Nothing through the scriptures you can read brings more greater glory to God than salvation. The redemption of man bought back unto himself. To buy back at a great price. Paying a ransom. That's redemption. Paying a ransom. From out of that, from out of that reality, there should be a new song in our heart. A new song. That's why I'm bent on getting us back to singing hymns. Because you know what? Hymns are deep in theology. Deep. See, it's not about the style of the music that accommodates the lyrics. It's all about the lyrics. It's all about what you're singing. A lot of contemporary songs today, not all of them, many are very man-centered in their theology. Very man-centered. Rather than God-centered. We're going to be God-centered in everything we do. God-centered. Period. Period. So if you don't like hymns, you probably don't want to come to this church. Okay? I love contemporary music. I love instruments. We'll see in a little bit, man. The Bible talks about instruments all over the Bible. That's why I, I would get bummed if I went to a church that didn't have instruments. I'd be bummed. God loves them. Everything's for the glory of God. God loves music. But guess what, guys? He loves music that rightly reflects Him. That rightly reflects His glory. That rightly reflects His person. That rightly reflects His redemptive plan. That's what He loves. 
He loves it. It brings glory to him. The singing that we're looking at in verse 19 has two audiences. One another, right? One another and God. Those are the two audiences. One another. We're to sing to one another and to him. To God. First Chronicles 23. Check this out. First Chronicles 23, verse 5. People have rejoiced in song to God from the beginning of time. Okay? And in First Chronicles 23, it says, 4,000 praised the Lord with musical instruments, which I made, said King David, for giving praise. 4,000. We see instruments throughout Scripture. Psalm 33, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise to the Lord with the harp. Make melody to Him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy, for the word of the Lord is right. In all His works is done in truth. Truth. Word. Song. Truth. God loves His truth. A lot of people stand at pulpits, they don't love His truth. They say they love His truth, but they're not teaching His truth. They're accommodating man instead of glorifying God. In our Bible study, which we do here, if you're a visitor here, you've got a long 45 minutes to go. People don't sit in an hour study. They hop from church to church until they get what makes them feel good. That's why there's no commitment today. It's a joke. 1 Samuel 10.5 A group of prophets came together and sang unto the Lord. It says, You will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with stringed instruments, a tambourine, a flute, a harp before me, or before them. And they will be prophesying. And there you have a men's choir of prophets. The lyrics were right with those guys, I'll tell you that much. The theology was correct with those brothers singing together. You know, I got to sing, oh man, the greatest worship experience that I've ever had was back in March when I got to sing praises to God with 3,500 pastors in one room. Oh, man alive. You want to talk about chills and stuff? You know, I'm not a big emotional guy who gets all chilly and stuff, but I did that day. Because men together singing with, guess what? Might. Singing with might. Biblically minded men. Singing biblically-minded, theologically correct lyrics unto God for His glory was awesome. It was awesome. I can't wait till this March to do it again. And I'm going to be taking about eight guys with me to do it. Oh, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. In Exodus 15, after God drowned the Egyptians in the Red Sea, Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after with timbrels and with dances, and Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. There's the first woman's choir right there, conducted by Miriam. Spirit-filled people gather together to glorify our Redeemer. The only people that are spirit-filled are those that are redeemed. The only people that have the Holy Spirit are those that are saved. It's only true Christians that have the Holy Spirit. We join together corporately to sing praise and adoration and a new song to Him because of the redemption that's been provided us, you see. That's why we sing. That's why we sing. 
It should be a product of what's flowing out, you see, because a spirit, that's the context, verse 18, spirit-filled life produces this type of song, this type of attitude, this type of response. There's an attempt today with Christian music to put a worldly spin on it. And all it does is become a product of the world. It looks like, you've got a bunch of posers out there, and I say this, and I'll beat this drum to the day I die. A lot of these Christian bands are a bunch of posers. They're just trying to, they're, they're, they're just trying to rip off Hollywood. It's all they're doing, man. Even their album covers look the same. It's a joke. Put this, and everyone thinks it's so cool. Well, it's to reach the lost. Well, I'm not saying that it can't. God is sovereign. Okay? I believe in the sovereignty of God. Above and beyond what I can even imagine. But when we join together, brothers and sisters, it is to uphold the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and it has to be up here. Content must be up here. Our teaching must be up here in everything that we do. And when we sing praises unto the Lord, you know, when you're singing here, think about the words that are up here. You may not know some of these songs, but you look at those words and you sing them out, and you understand what those words mean. That's the heart of the matter, guys. That's, it's not about how you feel. It will move you now and again. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Because all of this, verse 19, is an emotional response to a deep-rooted, eternal, everlasting truth. Amen? What a joy. God loves it. God loves music. God loves for us to sing to Him. God loves for us to sing and exhort and encourage one another with songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, you see? Because the heart refers to the controlling center of one's being. Now, we've studied the whole heart and the seat of one's thinking and, you know, how emotions and biblical-minded Jewish mind is, is, is that of the bowels or that of the, you know, like that deep feeling within your stomach. All of that gets moved with truth in a deep relationship with God, you see? All of that's going to get moved. And what comes out ought to be that which rightly reflects him. That's all we're saying here. You get it? It must rightly reflect him in all that he has done. So look at this. Verse 19. A spirit-filled Christian will, verse 19, speak to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That expression is the reality of the fullness of the life of the Christian. What's being communicated here is really integrity of the heart. Integrity of the heart in response to all that he's done. That's really what's being communicated. So it would ring like this. Look at this. Speaking in one another in um, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody. Here it is, in your heart. <coughs> Excuse me. What it would really, what that really says is singing and making melody Caused by your heart. Caused by a product of. A product of what's going on in your heart, you see. Result of being filled with the Spirit, walking it out and singing. Psalms. Those are Old Testament songs put to music. Psalms. Hymns. Songs of praise exalting God in Jesus Christ. One God. We exalt God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ by God the Holy Spirit who resides in us. The Trinity being glorified 
in our times of worship. Spiritual songs. Those are praise songs of testimony. In the grace of His salvation provided for you and for you and for you and for you. Spiritual songs. Making melody. It means to, to, to pluck a stringed instrument. It means to chirp like a bird. You know, you know the person who just, they kind of walk along, they're always like singing a song or they're whistling, you know, or they're humming. I've been listening to these Celtic, uh, someone gave me these Celtic hymns. I've been cranking them in my truck. I love old hymns. I love, I, oh, I just love it. Love it. Making melody in your heart. Kind of like whistling along, you know, within your heart. It's a right response to all that he's done. That's all that is, you see. That's a result of the spirit-filled life. You know, maybe you're sitting here today and, you know, I must not be a very mature Christian because I don't sing like this. This isn't a response of my heart. Well, there could be some things going on. There could be some things. It could be that there's some sin that needs to be repented of. That It could be there's some unconfessed sin in your life. You know, I always encourage Christians, start keeping short accounts with God. You think a sinful thought? If you look at that person and go, man, I hate that guy. That's a sin. You know, I know we're brothers and sisters in Christ, but I can't stand her. Okay? But the Holy Spirit will convict you right then. So you want to confess that. You don't need to worry about changing the emotion, because if you change your thinking, eventually, the emotional response to when you see that person will change. As you submit yourself into obedience of what you know to be true. So that could be one thing. One of the reasons a Christian may not have melody and songs and hymns and spiritual songs in his heart is because of the next verse. Verse 20. He may not have this. It says, the walking out of the spirit-filled life is giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is walking it out in gratitude. Walking out a spirit-filled life in gratitude. Giving thanks always. A spirit-filled Christian is one who says thanks to God. So what you want to do is think about your life. How often do you find yourself giving thanks to God? Throughout every day, every moment, and here it is, every situation. Every situation. And I'm not talking about superficial thanks. I'm not talking about the dude who this afternoon you'll see make the touchdown and he'll do... Right? And then you go, oh, well, did you know he's a Christian? What makes you think that? Well, in his interviews, he said, I just want to thank God. Or the debauched rock star who lives a debauched, wicked life. And then he gets up and wins at his awards. says, man, first of all, I just want to thank God. And then someone you know goes, oh, did you know he's a Christian? He is? Well, how do you know that? Well, he, he thanks God at every interview. Oh, great. Yeah, that is proof. There's proof. <laughs> you know, we read from Psalm 100 this morning. That we enter into His presence with what? Thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Being filled with the Spirit is letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Colossians 3.16, we read it last week. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Listen to this. In all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. 
And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, here it is, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. It's the same thing as Ephesians, being filled with the Spirit. It's the same thing. Worship of the heart to Almighty God. If you want to worship God, and for you, Christian, to be able to worship God with purity of heart, you must crucify self. Because when you crucify self, it recognizes God as the source of what? Everything. Everything. God is the source of everything in your life. All good things come down from heaven above. It's all because of Him. Evil is not of Him. Evil is not of Him. But He will, in His sovereignty, allow evil to take place, which we'll see in a minute, for the sake of conforming you and me into the image of who? Christ. Who came out of heaven and suffered more than all of us put together. More than all of us put together. Suffering. Romans 8.28, this is the reality. When you begin to have a thankful heart, you will sing and make melody in your heart. And you will be able to see Romans 8.28 as a practical part of your life, which says this. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Thanks is the ultimate act of praise. Because it recognizes God as sovereign ruler of all things. You see? is the sovereign ruler of all things. We can thank Him for the good. And we can thank Him for the hard times. That is maturity. That's maturity. A friend of mine, there's a couple in this church. There's a couple couples in this church. There's probably more than that. Who are going through a very, very uncertain, difficult trial right now. And my friend, the man said to me, he says, you know, I have no idea how people, Christians, who do not believe in or trust in the sovereignty of God, could ever get through things like this. I have no idea. He said. No idea. Uh, Wednesday night, we meet corporately here for prayer at the end, the last Wednesday of every month. And there's someone here who's going through a very difficult trial. And in the midst of the prayer, yeah, she had tears and she was crushed and hurt. But you know what? She said, Lord, I want to thank you for what I'm going through. Thank you for this trial in my life. As difficult as it is, I want to, I want to thank you. That's maturity. That's maturity. Or a maturing Christian. You know, Job, there's a brother who suffered, amen? If you don't know the story of Job, you need to go read Job this afternoon. Okay? Go read Job. In Job 121... Is this brother, when in the midst of his suffering, he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 4.15, Paul says, For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of who? The glory of God. All things are for His glory, guys. Your suffering, your trials are all for His glory. And we get blessed in the long run, though we may not see it this side of eternity. 
You may not understand at this side of eternity. Whatever you're going through here, you may not understand till you enter the gates of heaven, till you step into eternity, till you step into the presence and the face of Jesus. You may not understand why, but yet we persevere. We persevere. And we need to be here to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another, exhort one another, edify one another, to keep running the race, this race that is set before us with what? Endurance. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Mature thanks sees beyond the circumstances. To the finish line. To the finish line. So, look at verse 20. What do, uh, when are we to be thankful? What does he say? Giving thanks how often? Always. Always. That can be tough. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, mark this down, it says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. A lot of Christians are uncertain as to God's will for their life. If you're not certain, this is an awesome place to start with thanksgiving. Because 1 Thessalonians says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is the will of God that you and I give thanks for everything. For everything. Okay, now I kind of, we're going to stay on this path of thanksgiving, but I want you to see this contrast, because as you know, all these verses tie together. So there's a process of thought that always takes place. And the author takes us from someplace and he's moving us to someplace. So we never want to get away from tying the scriptures together. Okay? Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Remember verse 17? Verse 17 says, Therefore do not be unwise but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, for the Christian to understand what the will of the Lord is, he will know, verse 18, he must be filled with the Spirit, that he must obey that command. And when we're not unwise, verse 17, and we understand what God's will is, we'll know that he commands us to be filled with the Spirit, and the result of being filled with the Spirit is verse 20, giving thanks. And giving thanks for what? All things. How often? Always. Always. It's not the once and for all thanks that God has provided for us everlasting life. It's the day-to-day struggle that we face while we're here in this evil what? Age. This evil age. See, Paul Paul's not naive, you guys, about the world. He's not naive about the suffering that takes place. In Galatians 1.4, he said this. In Galatians 1.4, Paul said, He said that Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. This present evil age. Age is not a period of time, but it's rather an order or a system. Okay. Now, this world system that we live in, does it as a whole bring glory to God in a way that, that, that rightly reflects his majesty? Outwardly, no. Because there's all kinds of things that are absolutely contrary to him, that are in rebellion to him. So the age is the world system in which we live. It's not necessarily a period of time. It's the age in which we live. The age is evil. See, God allows Satan so much leash. Okay, We're not going to be able to figure this one out, but God has allowed him a lot of leash, right? That's why he's called the God of this what? Age. 
the God of this age, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. This age is evil because God allows so much pride and wickedness in the human heart. Key word, allows. Could he snuff us out? Yes. Could God snuff out every non-believer and every rebellious, hard-hearted, debauched person in the world that he wants to? You better believe he could. His mercy endures. He's merciful. I thank God he's merciful because he could have squashed me so long ago. And I'm sure everyone in this room could agree with me on that. Amen? He could have just, just smashed you and had every right to do it. Every right. To be burning in hell right now, I deserve that. I deserve that. You deserve that. Hopefully you know that. We deserve that. Because we've been redeemed, we ought to have a new song in our heart. We ought to be walking filled with the Spirit. And if you're walking filled with the Spirit, you will have a thankful heart. And from out of the thankful heart will be songs of praise and adoration and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Paul knew about suffering firsthand. He knew about living in this evil age firsthand. We, he, he writes about his struggles of sin in Romans 7. A wicked man that I am, amen, who will deliver me from this body of what? Death. He wrestled with it. He felt the sins of other people when he was stoned and beaten. Time and time again for preaching truth. He was doing God's will. Remember when, when, when uh, Ananias came to Paul, came to Saul at the time, and he was transformed on the road to Damascus, and God sent Ananias and says, Go to this Saul, my servant, for I must show him the things he must suffer for my name's sake. And outside of Jesus Christ, I don't believe historically in Christian faith anyone who suffered more than Paul. He was harassed in every city he went into, just about. Never knowing who would come in disguise with a sword to pull it out and put it right through him. He knew about the evil of the age. He understood it. And on top of it all, he suffered some, either some type of chronic illness. Remember the thorn in his flesh? It was either some physical ailment or... It was perhaps some false teachers that were allowed to remain within the churches, and no matter how hard Paul prayed, they weren't removed. Whether it was physical or whether it was spiritual, whatever the case, it wasn't removed. God said, my grace is what? Sufficient. Sufficient. And he praised God for it. Suffering. Now, we have to be careful here. Though we're called to thank God for everything, the scripture doesn't say, okay, that you don't that you can't cry when you have cancer. The scripture doesn't say you have to dance and celebrate about around the coffin of the loved one that you lost. It's very important. Because some people teach like this craziness. It doesn't say that there's no place for anger when there's injustice. It doesn't say that there's no place for anger when the scriptures aren't taught correctly. It doesn't say that. But it does say, give thanks for what? Everything. How often? Always. You don't have to rejoice in it. You don't have to rejoice in the death of the loved one. I mean, it sure is comforting when someone dies who knows the Lord that you can rejoice for the fact that you know they're with the Lord. But the Bible certainly doesn't say we can't weep over it and wail over it and hurt over it and mourn over it. But we can give thanks in the midst of it. And give thanks for it, of it. Go backwards a little bit. Verse 15 of chapter 5. 
Remember this a few weeks ago? See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Remember, circumspectly means to walk accurately, walk precisely, looking side to side. Walking as a discerning Christian because we live in an evil age. Looking carefully. Verse 16, we're called to redeem the time because the days are just that. They're evil. They're evil. And then verse 17 says, don't be foolish. Apply your mind. Apply your mind. Think through what the will of the Lord is, is what he's saying. Think through what the will of the Lord is. So, in other words, the Christian life is an attentive life, guys. You know, a lot of Christians just kind of float through, you know, oh, praise the Lord, praise Jesus. And they don't use their head. They don't think on these things. They don't get into the scriptures. They don't look and ponder, what does this mean in light of this evil age that I live in, right? They don't think of things going on in their life within the sovereign frame of God and His plan for our lives. They don't think. So, as we're supposed to have an attentive life that defensively guards ourselves from the subtleties of evil and the ploys and the temptations of the devil. That's one thing that we're supposed to do defensively, right? We're called to do that. And we're offensively called to redeem the time, to make most of the time. So, Christian, I ask, what are you doing with the time you have now? Day by day by day, moment by moment, as you walk out the faith, right? We're called to walk being what? Filled with the Spirit. Decision by decision. Every day is a process of decisions. You rolled out of bed this morning, you made numerous decisions, instead of numerous choices, by the time you got here. That's the Christian life. Being filled with the Spirit is a moment-by-moment decision-making process to either bring glory to God and rightly reflect Him in this situation or not. And the only way that we can do that wisely is if we know what His Word says. Therefore, I must let the words of Christ dwell in me what? Richly. Richly. You will be a Spirit-filled Christian who redeems the time Understanding that we are a people at war with unbelief and evil. Because we have the truth. But with all that in mind, on the other hand, as a believer, we can see the restful, thankful, peaceful place of verse 19. Right? Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts. This is like an army who's getting ready to be consumed. Death. Just pummeled with the sword. And in the midst of it all, they just praise God and sing praises unto Him. Though they know they're in the middle of a great battle, they're, about, they're facing great evil, they sing praises unto the Lord. The perfect illustration of that? Perfect illustration. Second Chronicles chapter 20. We don't have time to turn there, but mark this down and read it later. Go read Second Chronicles chapter 20. Judah was about to go to war with the Ammonites and the Moabites. Okay? So Jehoshaphat gets the word about it, so he goes right away to prayer. He goes to the right place. It's the place of prayer. Prayerful place. Once he rose up from prayer, he immediately went into thanksgiving. 
for the victory of the war that hasn't even taken place yet. And then he set up a bunch of people for the, for the purpose of singing, making melody, and singing unto the Lord. While they were praising him, while they were joined together as one, God in his sovereignty brought the enemies of Judah together and they ended up killing each other. They never had to raise the sword. That is spiritual maturity. That is not only praying in response for all of God's blessings that he bestows on you. That's easy, amen? That's the easy part, just thanking God for all of his blessings. Even immature Christians can do that. The next level is praising him while you're in the midst of troubles. This level is not only in the midst of trouble, but you don't know, have any idea what the outcome is. But yet giving praise, adoration to God Almighty, that's maturity. That's maturity. Now we see the struggle, we see the evil age that we're in, and we see all that we have in Christ, right? It's a paradox. It's a paradoxical truth. So how do we, how do we knit these two things together? You know, Philippians 4, 6, if you struggle with anxiety, there's a cure for it. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, now check this out, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known. Okay? Now, I purposely left something out. Just be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And then here's the result. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Tell you what. If you don't have a thankful heart, and you're not singing and making melody in your heart, and you don't understand that worship is for Him, and it's an outflow of the work He's done in us, and we ought to be rightly reflecting His glory by the things in the words that we sing, you're not Spirit-filled. You're saved if you're a Christian, but you've got to be filled with the Spirit. So start with those places. Start with a thankful heart. Get back to the place of being thankful for all things, and you will see God change your thinking, you see. He'll change your thinking. He'll change you from within. A lack of thanksgiving in a believer is nothing more than a prideful heart. You lack thanksgiving, you ought to check to see if you have pride in your heart. Pride. Because humility is the opposite of pride, right? When you come to the place of understanding, believer, that you deserve nothing. You deserve nothing, and I deserve nothing. You know what you'll give thanks for? Everything. Is a believer when you realize you deserve nothing but to, but to have everlasting torment? When you realize that you deserve nothing, that's humility. And you'll be thankful for everything that God, here it is, allows in your life. So to whom do we give thanks? Back to chapter 5. Giving thanks always for all things to who? God the Father. God the Father. This is the father who bestows the gifts of a father to his children. And if you're a father, you want to bestow good things to your children. You just want that. There's such joy in it. Mothers, you understand, there's joy in blessing your children. There's joy in it. So that's the love of the father. We're giving thanks to him as our heavenly father. In the name of who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. He's our access. The reason that we can come boldly before the throne is because Christ came out of heaven and became a human being and gives us access because he died and rose again. He's our mediator, you see. 
He stands in between you and the Father, which gives you bold access to the throne of what? Grace. The throne of grace. So, praying in Jesus' name is not some magic formula, like you say a prayer and they say, Amen. Oh, wait a minute. That one doesn't count. I've got to go back. Oh, in Jesus' name, Amen. So, it's not a formula. It's praying consistent with who He is and who He's declared Himself to be, and it's praying consistent with who you are in Him. Because you, as a believer, have access to God because of the, of the mediating work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. Remember that? Remember your position in Christ? You have access to God because He sees you as perfectly righteous. You stand perfectly flawless because all of the righteousness of Christ covers you. That's why we pray in His name. We come to the Father in the name of Christ. Because when God stands there, so to speak, and you come to Him with prayer, He sees you as His Son. That's why you even have access. No one would approach the throne of a king without getting his head walloped off. But the son could approach it, you see. The son could approach his father. You can approach the throne because of the work of the son. So we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a magic, magic formula. When we sing to him, when we sing to God and give thanks, it's Jesus giving thanks to the father. And we're giving thanks through the son. So our thanks comes to the Son, to the Father through the Son. So Jesus is actually giving fa- the Father thanks on your behalf. See, if we can get our thinking straight and that we deserve nothing, you will be thankful for everything you have. You will be thankful for the trials that you have because you know that He's conforming you into the image of His Son. Now, a lot of times you think you deserve more than we do, right? A lot of times we think we deserve what we really don't. But think about this next time you think that. Jesus had everything in glory. And he stepped down in humanity. Became a man. He was spit on. He was crucified. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. He deserved glory. He got humility. That's what he got. He deserved glory. He deserved love and he got hate. He deserved worship and he got rejection. He deserved praise and he got scorned. He deserved holiness and you know what he got? He got your sin and my sin. We, on the other hand, we deserve hell, right? We deserve hell. We deserve humility. But because of him, one day we get glory. We deserve hell, we got salvation. We deserve hate and we get his divine agape, unconditional love. So if you're unthankful... Remember those things, and perhaps it will change your perspective to have a thankful heart. Because to be filled with the Spirit will naturally produce a thankful heart. Now, there's three kinds of things as we close up. Three kinds of people when it comes to thanks, and you can test yourself with this. Just turn to Luke quickly, because all three examples are in Luke. The first one is in Luke 12. These are those that never give thanks to God for anything. They never give thanks to God for anything. Luke chapter 12, verse 16. And then Jesus, he spoke a parable to them saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful. And he thought within himself, check it out, within himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, 
I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store up all my crops and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But you know what God said? You're a fool. This night your soul will be required of you. Then those, then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So there's the person who's never thankful for anything. He thinks everything he does, that he's done it himself. But the fool never saw that God was the source for anything. And one thing that dude didn't do was take any of it with him. Amen? So there's the unthankful person. Now you can go to those who give a hypocritical thanks in Luke 18. Luke 18, the hypocrite or the self-righteous. Verse 9. Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in whom? Themselves. That they were righteous. And they despised others. Two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even as this tax collector. Look at what he says now. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing far off, would not even so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And guess who went away righteous in the eyes of God? The guy who beat his chest and couldn't even look up. He went away justified, declared free from all blame. This guy, the hypocritical fool, was a self-righteous guy who was basically speaking to himself. This is self-worship. I thank you, God. Oh, he threw God in there in a superficial way. It's like the rock star. Yeah, I want to thank God, right? That's just guilt, you know. Here I'm interviewed long enough. Yeah, you know, I started out when I was 15 and I did this and I did that. And I'm here because I worked hard and I've done this and I am this and I am that. It's a hypocritical fool, self-righteous. And then back in Luke 17, verse 11. Now it happened as he went out to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee... Then as he entered a certain village, there met with him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. They lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. So here it is. God gave a command. I want you to go and show yourself clean. So as they were going, they were cleansed. Okay, they're on their way. And then verse 15, one of them. When he saw that he was healed, he recognized the work of God, right? He saw, he recognized that he was healed. He returned with a loud voice. What did he do? Glorified God. He fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan of all things. Samaritans were despised. They were known as half-breeds. The Jews hated them. They were, known, they were outcasts, let alone the fact that the dude was a leper. Just being a Samaritan, you were looked at as an outcast. So it's very likely that he's the only one that received salvation here. Very likely. But he had true thanksgiving. The rest simply wanted to get rid of their disease. The rest simply were more concerned about being an outcast and going to show themselves clean, adhering to the law. 
That's what the law called for. You have to go show yourself to be cleansed. I was reading through a commentary this week, preparing for this, and I read this old legend. I thought it was really cool. I'll close with this. Two angels were sent to earth. One had the task of gathering all the petitions, which are prayer requests. The other had the task of gathering all the prayers of thanksgiving. The angel carrying the petitions, which were requests, was unable to carry the load back. Whereas the angel who came for the thanksgiving had only a few in his hand. You know, this is probably the most common sin for believers. An unthankful heart. The most common sin for unbelievers, I believe, is having an unthankful heart. And instead of seeing within the realm of God's sovereignty, what do we have a tendency to do? Whine and complain. So as a reminder, I close with Ephesians 5, verse 18, which is a command. Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. The result of which, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And next week, we'll look at what it means to submit to one another. So how thankful are you? What are you thankful for? And what adjustments must you make as a sinner saved by grace this week to rightly reflect the glory, the love, and the grace of God in and through your life? That's the question. And we all, all of us, have to keep that in check, day by day, step by step, decision by decision, to bring glory to God, which is living a spirit-filled life as we yield to the Spirit. Amen? And you will not be able to help but to be thankful. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you, thank you, thank you for your sovereign rule and reign over creation, over the universe, over evil, over pain, over suffering over natural disasters, all of which are a consequence of sin, and a world that has fallen subject to decay. Thank you, Lord, that in the midst of all of that, we, deserving of nothing less than everlasting hell, have been bought back, called out, transformed, renewed, all because you choose to dwell within us. Lord, we thank you for that. I praise your name for that. I thank you for your church. I thank you for this church. I thank you for this body of believers, for the hearts and minds that are being transformed by the power of your word. And I pray, Lord, today for all those who are in very difficult trials in this church, very difficult, uncertain situations, who are still perhaps dealing with the death of a loved one and the pain of the loss, those who are dealing with things, Lord, that are yet in the future and do not know what tomorrow may bring. I pray, Father God, that within each one of them, your grace would abound to touch, transform, heal, strengthen, encourage, and bless them as they walk in fellowship with you. And I pray that we would be a body, Lord, that would walk filled with the Spirit so that from out of our hearts would be songs and hymns and spiritual songs to one another and to you. That we'd be very thankful for all things, always for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.